If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're here with us, that you promise that where two or three are gathered, you're in our midst. We are thankful to be together. We're thankful to be in the house of God. And as we read through Revelation chapter 6, and we're sobered by your judgment, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the propitiation for our sins, that you appease the wrath of the Father. And as we take a close look at your final judgment, Lord, we pray many, many people would come to know you, that you would turn hearts towards you. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point in the book of Revelations, this is where most people stop reading the book of Revelations. Also, it's where pastors stop preaching the book of Revelations. So we're actually going to end our series if you would turn with me over to the Gospel of John. <laughs> And the reason for that is it gets more difficult to interpret. It gets more difficult to understand. So let's remember a few things before we go into this chapter. And the first is, is that God gives an extra blessing for reading the book of Revelation. Revelation 1-3, blessed are those who read this book. It's a double blessing. You're blessed when you read God's word. You're double blessed when you read the book of Revelation. So don't give up on the book of Revelation. Also, what's the purpose of Revelation? Is it to get your eschatology down perfectly? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a win for us personally, and that's a win for us as a church at the end of this study if you go, wow, I understand Jesus in a greater way. And if you keep that in mind as we go through these chapters, it'll really help. Also, remember chapter 4 and 5 before we go into chapter 6. Chapter 4 and 5 was the vision of the throne room. I love in chapter 4, it says that God's throne room is set. His throne room set. Everything that's going on in our world, his throne room is set. And he is seated upon the throne. Jesus is the worthy lamb. The 24 elders bowing down to worship the lamb, casting their crowns before Christ. The purpose of our lives is to worship. Chapter 5, there's a scroll in heaven. No one was worthy to open it. It had seven seals on it. And we find that Jesus is the only one that's worthy to loose these seals and open the scroll. The scroll speaks of God's final judgment upon the earth, wrapping up the affairs of men. Chapter 6 begins the opening of these seals. There's seven seals. We'll study six of them. It's, it's God's judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. The focus on Jesus being the Lamb. 27 times in the book of Revelation, Christ is referred to as the Lamb. He's only referred to as the Lion once. I would think that God would emphasize that Jesus is the lion when it comes to his judgment, but it's just the opposite. God wants us to remember the one who is bringing judgment is the one who first received judgment. Jesus is the lamb that took our place upon the cross. He took the the wrath of the Father for us so that we could be forgiven. Yes, God will pour out judgment on a Christ-rejecting world because he's just, but he would much rather pour out grace 
and mercy and forgiveness to those that would repent. God is so long-suffering with his judgment. He continues to wait and wait and wait and wait to, to bring his judgment because he wants to give more and more people an opportunity to respond to him. So it's the lamb who is opening these seals. And it opens the first seal. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, with a voice like thunder, come and see. These four creatures around the throne room of God saying, holy, holy, holy. And now one of the creatures speaks with a a loud voice and says, come and see. This phrase, come and see, you may remember from the Gospel of John. And John, he writes the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. But in John chapter 1, we see the disciple Philip was called by Christ to follow him. And he went and found Nathanael. And Nathanael says, can anything come good come out of Nazareth. And what is the response of Philip? Come and see. Come check it out. If you've got questions about Jesus, come and see. And so now we find this phrase again, come and see, and it's come look at these seals being opened by Christ. Come look at God's judgment that he's bringing on a Christ-rejecting world. Verse 2, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. At quick read, it's easy to think, well, this has to be Jesus. This has to be Jesus on the white horse, and there's some that think that, but it seems more to be uh, pointing to the Antichrist, because Jesus also comes on a white horse in chapter 19, his second coming. I like this quote from a commentator by the name Jennings. He says, The whole context and character of these seals absolutely forbids our thinking of this rider being the Lord Jesus, as so many affirm. His reign shall not bring war, famine, and strife in its train. When Christ comes, yes, he comes with judgment, but he brings in his kingdom. And here this rider on the white horse brings in destruction. Also, if you read closely, he was given a crown, and a crown was given to him. Is Christ given a crown? Is he given a a victor's crown? Christ possesses authority in and of himself. So it seems that this is the moment where God allows the Antichrist to wreak havoc on the world. He's the last satanic dictator. We look back in history, and there's certain leaders, certain dictators, that there's definitely a demonic influence. We can see that clearly with Hitler. And here's the Antichrist that it's allowed by God during this this season, during this seven-year tribulation period. What's also interesting about him is he's got a bow but no arrow. So if any of you are into archery, what good is the bow without the arrow? So everything in Scripture is specific. So, so why does he have a bow with no arrow? And a lot of people think this refers to that the Antichrist is going to have influence through government, not through war. His way in is going to be through government, and that will lead to uh, destruction, then a full-on frontal attack. This is the first seal, the white horse with a rider on it who's coming to conquer. Second seal. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, Come and see. Come observe this seal. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. 
and the people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So the second is a fiery red horse. Why a fiery red horse? Because of the violence that is brought into the world and the bloodshed that takes place. And this rider is allowed to take God's peace from the earth. God simply removes his peace from the earth. A lot of these judgments that we see in these seven seals is God simply removing his protective hand. All he's got to do is allow the Antichrist to take the center stage, really giving the world what the world wants. Right now, the world is Antichrist. The world's saying, we don't want Jesus. And so God says, okay, here you go. Here's the antithesis to to Jesus. Here's the Antichrist. Not that the Antichrist is equal with with Christ, but he's he's against Christ. Then, okay, I'm going to take my peace from, from the earth. Are things violent now? Absolutely. But what if God removes his protective hand? Much more violent. And people start to kill one another with a sword and, and blood flows. And this is the second seal. This is part of God's judgment. In verse 5, the third seal. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. So the third is a black horse. And the rider has scales, a balance that is put on, that the black horse speaks of the famine, the scarcity of food. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius would be an average one-day wage. So you work a whole day, and you get one quart of wheat, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So for some reason, God says, don't harm the oil, don't harm the wine. God's the one that's ultimately in control here. Evil's not in control. But there becomes a great scarcity of food. Can you imagine working a whole day's wage and getting a loaf of bread? Anybody shop at Costco? Dave's Killer Bread? It's pretty good, right? So you work all day and you get one loaf of Dave's Killer Bread. So this is part of the judgment of God, is there's this scarcity of food that takes place upon the earth. The fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, come and see. So another invitation to come and see, come observe these seals. So I looked and behold, a pale horse. Now what in the world is up with a pale horse? Now I understand the white horse conquering Roman general Okay, Fiery Red Horse, that's pretty cool. Black Stallion, well, that was a good movie growing up. But then you got the Pale Horse, and that's just the sickly horse, right? Who wants a, wants a Pale Horse? But it's specific, speaking of all of the destruction that comes into the earth, specifically all of the death that comes into the earth with this fourth seal. And the name of him who sat on it was Death and Hades, followed with him. The writer's name was Death and Hades, Hades the grave, and the power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. So again, God granting this, God allowing this to happen, to kill with the sword, with hunger, and with death, and by the beasts of the earth. This is sobering. 25% of the population dies in this fourth seal. 
there's some that read these seals and say, well, this is historical. This has already happened. And to me, that's just mind-blowing because I'm not an expert on history, but I don't see any time in history that lines up with all these seven seals. You know, is there, is there a time in history where 25% of the population has been wiped out? And we're just getting started. You know, by the time we get to the sixth seal, we're talking cosmic disturbance. By the time we're at the end of the chapter, the whole world knows that this is the wrath of the Lamb. The whole world knows that this isn't the judgment of God. So, so I believe this has not happened yet. If, if you read this just at honest face value and go, has this happened in history? No, no, it hasn't. Are we living through this right now? No, we're not. Are there aspects of this that we see? Is there violence? Yes. Is, is there famine? Yes, absolutely. Do those things increase as we get closer to the end? Yes, but God has not yet opened these seals. I don't think that we're in this place. It, it's very public. It's very known. It, you, you can't miss it. 25% of the population dies. What, what's interesting at the end of verse 8 is there's also death by the beasts of the earth. Things get so chaotic and there's so much destruction that the beasts are actually able to, to kill people. A couple weeks ago, get a neighborhood email. In our neighborhood, there's just an email group that goes out. And our neighbor, two doors up, and we live right here in town, he was hearing a scratching on his door late at night. And he thought it was his dog that he'd forgotten to let his dog in. And he opened the door, and it was a mountain lion scratching on his back door. <laughs> like, two doors up, you know? And that kind of freaked me out a little bit. I let my dog out at night, and... Now I'm starting to think, man, what else is out there, right? And so things get to this place where where the beasts of the earth are are bringing in death as well. The fifth seal is the cry of the martyrs. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So the fifth seal involves those that have been martyred for the word of God, for their testimony of Jesus Christ. We know that this has been happening since the book of Acts. Jesus was killed. Jesus was crucified. Stephen was martyred. The apostle Paul was martyred. And many since, currently people are being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. I don't think we fully know what believers are going through in Afghanistan right now. But we do know that God's moving and people are are getting saved in Afghanistan. A missionary told me this week who's doing work in Afghanistan that from their research, the two countries where the church is growing the fastest right now, number one is Iran and number two is Afghanistan. He's personally working with a a church that had about 325 and since all the turmoil, they're ministering to 2,500 I mean, God's working and he's moving, but there's a cost, isn't there? People are losing their lives for the word of God and for for the testimony that they held. And notice that their blood, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those. Why why under the altar? Because in Leviticus 4 verse 7, it says, and he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. So God is bringing that image back to mind from Leviticus 4. When there was animal sacrifice, the blood would be at the base of the altar. And the blood of 
the martyrs is at the altar of God. And here's their cry. In verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The blood is crying out for God's righteous judgment. When Cain killed Abel, the first murder in the Bible, his blood cried out before God. And here this innocent blood has been shed and it, and it cries out before God. And this is a, a just cry saying, Lord, how long? When are you going to bring this judgment for those that have killed Christians? And God promises, he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God's answer is interesting in verse 11. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. God says it's not yet. It's not yet. I I will bring this judgment for the martyrs that have been, been killed but it's not time yet. And there's actually going to be some more that are killed for Christ. And when that number is completed, then I'm going to bring judgment. And this brings up a a deeper topic, and we'll cover this more on, on Wednesday, is God's justice and longing for God's justice. Have you found yourself as the world gets more crazy and it gets more perverted and twisted where your heart longs for his righteous judgment? And hopefully we're approaching that with humility because we know that our lives deserve God's judgment apart from Christ. It's not like we're absent from deserving God's wrath. If if Jesus didn't take our place, we too would deserve the judgment of God. But as we observe things in the world and we observe injustice and we see especially the weak and the vulnerable and kids being taken advantage of, you know, there's things that happen to kids that just breaks my heart. And it causes my heart to cry out for for God's justice. And Jesus said, man, I would be better for you if a millstone was put around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to hurt one of my little ones. So God has that heart for, for kids and people that take advantage of kids and abuse kids and do all these horrific things to kids. They're going to have to stand before the Lord, but God's going to bring that judgment when he sees it necessary. I checked the news this morning, and I don't know if you saw this, there's 17 U.S. missionaries that were kidnapped in Haiti yesterday. They're on a short-term trip from Ohio, built an orphanage, wrapped things up, went to the airport, but on the way to the airport, they were kidnapped on Saturday afternoon. We, we need to be praying for them. Could you, could you imagine? We send a lot of missions teams out from, from RMC. Could be one of our missions teams that Here you are doing this short-term trip. As a pastor, I couldn't imagine getting that phone call. Man, the short-term team has been kidnapped, all all 17 of them. And the backstory there is the U.S. went in this week to Haiti, some of our officials, and said, there's a gang problem in Haiti. We're going to give you $15 million to help you clean up your gang problem. The gangs answered and said, well, we'll kidnap Americans. And so that's where we are today and still not settled. We don't know where these missionaries are. And Haiti's an absolute mess. They assassinated their president in July. They had an earthquake, 7.2 in August. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Guess what? That's the place to go as missionaries. That's where God calls us with the gospel. 
And he calls us to care for the orphan. Can you imagine the injustices that are happening to, to orphans and to see a Christian orphanage be built? Man, that, that's awesome. That's exactly what the body of Christ should be doing. But there's a price, isn't there? There's a risk. And now there's kidnapping that has taken place. And this is more close to home because it's U.S. citizens. But this is what Christians face all over the world all the time, is this type of persecution. And God uses persecution for his purposes, and he's long-suffering and he's patient. So even though we say, Lord, how long? When are you going to to make this right? God says, I'm waiting, and it's my long-suffering, it's my kindness that's, that's wanting people to come to repentance. The sixth seal is the cosmic disturbances. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as fig trees drop its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. There's still a lot of fig trees in Israel to this day. This is an image that John would be familiar with, is, is seeing the figs fall off of the fig trees as the wind would, would come in, and the stars are falling like figs. You look up at the sky, and the sky is pointing to God's judgment. The sun is black, like dark hair. Could you imagine the sun being blacked out? It's completely black, and then the moon is like blood. And this is prophesied in the Old Testament in lots of places. In Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Joel, and, and Zephaniah, when God's judgment comes, there's going to be these cosmic disturbances. In Joel 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? So God prophesies this with his judgment that the earth is going to quake. The sun and the moon are going to grow dark. In verse 14, the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of his place. So, so the sky starts to recede. It starts to be rolled up like a scroll. If you, if you picture a scroll that you're, you're rolling up, God begins rolling up the sky in a way that people are able to observe. Isaiah 34 verse 4 speaks of this as well. All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falls from the vine, as fruit falling from a fig tree. So John not only has observed figs falling from a tree, but also he knew Isaiah 34, verse 4. He says, this is happening. This is the the fulfillment of Isaiah 34, verse 4. Mountains are moved. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Get up. It's earthquake, cosmic disturbances, and Pikes Peak is moved, right? If it was on the east side of town, your property values just went way, way up. But property's not worth very much at this point, right? God's really shaking things up. As we go through these seals, this is what I want you to see this morning, is the response. What's the response to this? 
In verse 5, 15, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. So all sectors of society, the rich, the mighty, the commanders, the slave, the free, every person, every economic background, they begin to hide themselves in caves. And this is their cry. And said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What was their response to God's judgment? What was their response to God getting their attention? His righteous judgment on a Christ-rejecting world? Is they're hiding. They're hiding from God, and they're speaking to the rocks, and they're saying, rocks fall on us. What we don't see is repentance. They're hiding from God instead of getting right with God. They know what they're dealing with. The media is not going, okay, this is some weird cosmic disturbance. We don't know why. This is one time where media gets it right. Everybody gets it right. And they know exactly what's going on. It's not just some weird kind of famine and they don't know why. It's not just some crazy war and they don't know why. They know that this comes from God. They're saying, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. They know that God sits on the throne. And they also know that this is the wrath of the Lamb. They understand that the Lamb, notice those words, the Lamb, Jesus, who is crucified, is the one who is, who is bringing this wrath. As you examine the things of Christ, and you consider, man, do I want to trust Christ for salvation? Do I want to believe in him as my Savior, you may be waiting for some kind of huge sign. <laughs> well, if Pike's Peak moved, then I'd know that God's real. If the sun went dark, like black hair, I, I would know that, that God is real. Probably not. Because here they have these amazing outward signs of the reality of God, and they don't repent. They don't turn to God. I suggest to you this morning that if Christ's death and his resurrection is not enough for you, then what will be enough? It's God's kindness. It's his love that leads us to repentance more than anything else, even God's judgment. It's the fact that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, that God waits and waits to pour out this kind of judgment. God doesn't want to send someone to hell. He would much rather you turn from your sin and trust Christ and receive Christ as your Savior. So this is sobering. As you read this chapter, God's judgment is sobering. It's real. And then the response to it is sobering, that there isn't repentance that takes place. Here's the question in verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? God's wrath has come, and who is able to stand? We believe that this period is called the tribulation, the wrath of the Lamb, and it's a seven-year period. And the reason why we believe that is from Daniel chapter 9, where God says there's 70 weeks, prophesies 70 weeks for the affairs of man, for the nation of Israel. And in the Hebrew, that word weeks means seven, seven years. 
So you've got 70 times 70, which is 490 years. And as you study that process, prophecy, 483 years have been fulfilled leading up to Christ's crucifixion. And the prophetic clock stopped at that moment. And it's on pause until God opens these seals. And when he opens those seals, the tribulation begins. Seven-year period where God's pouring out his judgment, the, the wrath of the Lamb. I personally think that the church will already be raptured prior to that. Jesus took the wrath of God for us. And it's very clear this is the wrath of the Lamb. So, so why would we be the objects of God's wrath? If there's believers that are alive during these seals on, on the earth, if the church hadn't been raptured yet, I think we'd be repenting. I think we'd be going, Lord, have mercy on us. God, forgive us. But who knows? That's just my opinion of when I think the rapture may happen. Even if we as believers go through the tribulation, it's only a seven-year period. And then we're going to go home and be, be with the Lord and forever be with the Lord. So this is not something you have to fear, nor is it something that you can prepare for. Your two bags of rice in your basement are not going to get you through this. <laughs> so, so don't stress. Like, it may be wise to have some rice and some water because natural disasters happen. But you're not going to be able to prep your way through the tribulation. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen on that one? Right? We've got to trust the Lord and trust that, that he's good and he's faithful and he's going to see us through. The only way that anyone can stand the wrath of the Lamb is through the blood of Jesus, for the blood of Jesus to cover us and forgive us. In Romans 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified is declared righteous. Instead of being in a place where we're receiving God's wrath, where we're separated from God for all of eternity, we're justified by faith. As you believe that Jesus died and he rose again for your sin, you're declared righteous. Church, that's everything. That is everything. We could never earn it. We could never deserve it. It's the power of Jesus. It's what Christ has done for us. That's what wins our affection to Christ. That's what this life is all about. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then we have peace with God. We're at a place of going, man, I know that I have peace with God. I'm not at enmity with God anymore because my sins have been forgiven. So how do we apply this as believers? Well, as believers, we're, we're thankful for the blood of Jesus. When we read of God's judgment, hopefully it helps us understand the gravity of our sin in a greater way and the depth of what Jesus ha has done for us. And also as believers, to be at a place where we're more moved with the gospel. We, we don't want to see people come under God's judgment. We want to see them come under God's grace, and that's going to come through the gospel. We want to love people in Jesus' name. We want to share the gospel with them. That, that's the most important thing. So we rejoice in the gospel. Hopefully it stirs in us a commitment to, to share the gospel. And if you don't know Christ as, as your Savior, man, this morning, today's the day for you to turn and to be saved. The Bible is real. The Bible is God's word. It's going to last for, for all of eternity. This world is going to pass away. And the only thing that can save you is if you have trusted Christ for salvation. 
to turn from sin, to realize that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner, and our sin separates us from God, and to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, forgive me, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And the promise of God is then he will grant to you eternal life. You're not going to be separated from God from all of eternity. You're not going to go to hell. But it's more than just fire insurance. It's Jesus coming and living inside of you. He promises to come and take residency inside of your heart. Your heart becomes his home. And the love that you've been looking for is found in Christ. The purpose that you've been looking for is found in Christ. So we're going to enter into communion this morning, but I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior, to raise your hand to Christ, and I'm going to pray with you, lead you in a prayer where where you cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. For those of you that are listening uh, online as well, if you'd like to receive Christ, I'd encourage you to raise your hand and to pray with me as well. So, So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, for your death and your resurrection for our sin. And it's only through faith, it's only by believing in you that we can be justified, that we can be forgiven, that we cannot be in a place where we receive your wrath. Lord, you know hearts. Would you communicate your heart of love? Would you speak?